The Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast would like to offer, with no obligation, implied or implicit, our best wishes for an environmentally conscious, socially responsible, low-stress, non-addictive, gender-neutral celebration of the holidays practiced at this time of year, with the most enjoyable traditions of religious persuasion or secular practices of your choice, with respect to the religious, secular persuasions and or traditions of others, or their choice not to practice religious or secular traditions at all. We also wish you a fiscally successful, personally fulfilling and medically uncomplicated recognition of the onset of the generally accepted calendar year 2014, but not without due respect for the calendars of choice of other cultures, and without regard to the race, creed, colour, age, physical ability, religious faith or sexual preference of the wishy. By accepting this greeting, you are accepting these terms. This greeting is subject to clarification or withdrawal. It is freely transferable with no alteration to the original greeting. It applies no promise by the wisher to actually implement any of the wishes for him, her, or others. It is void where prohibited by law and is revocable at the sole discretion of the wisher. The wish is warranted warranted to perform as expected within the usual application of good tidings for a period of one year or until the issuance of a new wish at the sole discretion of the wisher. Good morning and welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan and joining me today is Craig. Hello. And my good friend, world-winning, world-famous, Susie Wilde. <laughs> Hello. And I didn't even get an even... I'm not even a good friend. Well, you know, you're not like award-famous fa- award or world-winning. Award-famous. Yes. So... Uh, Christmas greetings, as per the uh, Christmas at the beginning of the non-denominal solstice holiday, everybody. Um, <laughs> ah, but question is, will this get out before the non-denominational yeah, yeah, solstice yeah, yeah, holiday? Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm really glad you said non-denominational. What was I supposed? That was well, he's in non-denominal. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I can go back and check that. <laughs> Um, so we've had a couple of feedbacks. Yay! Karen sent us a message saying, "Yay! Contact us works at last. We are listening. You don't need to resort to reading spam. Keep it up." Smiley face. Thank you, Karen. And hello. It seems I will have to do this again. As before, while this message contains no content, I hope it will satiate your appetite for contact with your listeners. I shall endeavour to mark in my calendar to submit another such message to you 21 months from now. Kind regards, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thank Thanks, you, Scott. Karen. You actually had three spelling mistakes in your message, but... <gasps> Nathan! Oh. <laughs> oh, my God, what an insult. I like how you just automatically assumed that that was me <laughs> on someone's spelling. Sorry, Craig. Well, I did notice wow. that you you um, you you stopped at appetites. I did. you were obviously going to say I something. I was going to say something. And I thought, no, the man sent us a message. He took the time out of his busy exactly. day. Exactly. To make us feel better. So and we do feel better. Stop being twats. We are, we are pretty that. needy. Why not? Oh, oh, probably not. Oh, whatever. So, straight into the news. We're going to do this quite quickly because we've got a nice long interview this uh, episode um, with Hayley Stevens, ghost hunter and atheist. I should have asked you about this um, question, um, this thing. I was actually going to, and then we got distracted by other things. So, this has been in the news mysterious <clears throat> bioluminescent creature. And yeah. we decided that Craig would be the right person to talk about this. No, we didn't. Just joking, because everyone knows you're into it. Don't make me have a ventilator. Shh, shh, shh. Okay. Okay. Tell us about it. Thank you. Well, it's been all over the interwebs that a strange, mysterious, glowing sea beast was spotted off the coast of Bristol in the UK. 
um, this week, I guess. And there was a video that was all over the internet. Um, and it's one of these things. So off the coast of UK, but there are lots and lots of biodiversity creatures. So it, it, it could have it could have been something, but it turns out it wasn't. Uh, it was a hoax, and it was a hoax, of course, for a um, for a TV show to basically ah. advertise a TV yeah. show, which will start Monday the 9th of December tomorrow. And what's the TV um, show? The Happenings, where magicians will use techniques of illusion to bring incredible movie-like experiences to cool. British and American towns. Oh, that sounds awesome. Um, of a British TV them. channel called, that I, called Watch that I have never heard of before. Huh. Anyway, um, that's how you do it. That's how you get people talking about your uh, yes, clearly your show. You put something so weird you go, and guys, glowy. Keep an eye out for that. So how did they do this? How did they do it? Susan? Oh, I've got no bloody idea. It was probably some no, kind of. But they actually won't tell you. <laughs> they actually made a big bioluminescent creature and floated it off the stool. <laughs> I, I imagine a, they um, didn't use bioluminescence. <laughs> they could have had one of my squid from Art in the Dark. They could have. have we a, talked about Art in the Dark. We did I'm that last week, didn't we? Did we? I thought so. I don't know. Oh. Anyway, yeah. I had some 3D printed squid filled with glowing bacteria that we showed as an an, an art show. Um, but the point, the, I guess the point is that this is this is very bright, and that actually. Too so bright. one of the things that looks wrong is the color of the light. Ah. Had they spoken to someone who studies bioluminescence, we would have told them that that's not quite the right color of light. Yeah. It's very. It looks like artificial light. Does they who the magicians are, or send them a message and tell them they should have asked you? <laughs> Uh, let's have a look at their thing. Um, I don't know. All right. I don't know. Well, keep an eye out for that. It might be fun. Or it might just be a load of bollocks. Oh, it's got magic. And this is the alien-like creature they called it. I mean, for, for goodness sake, <laughs> try not to swear. There, you know, there you are so many amazing creatures in the sea that aren't alien-like. They're yeah. they're here. They're they're natural. Real. Real, you know, I've said this before. If there was life on other planets, it's going to be bacterial, so or microbial, so mm. not tentacled like. Anyway, but, but I'm done. Okay. But yeah, they should have consulted a bioluminescence enthusiast, and we would have told them what colours of light to use <laughs> to make it look more like a bioluminescent creature. Slackers. They are slackers. Outrageous. Craig, you want to tell us about an impossible planet? Well, yes. No doubt everybody's seen this, but um, astronomers find impossible planet 11 times bigger than Jupiter. So Wait, astronomers what? astronomers have found a planet which apparently shouldn't exist. Than Jupiter. Yeah. 11 times the mass of Jupiter, but that's not the truly weird thing hmm. about the planet. It's not its mass, but its distance from the star. This planet they found orbits its host star at about 650 times the distance of the Earth to the Sun. And that's a problem because current theories of planet formation really can't explain how it managed to get there. So anyway, this article goes on and it's all very interesting. But what I wanted to point out was just all the comments on the article huh. and how kind of anti-science they were. Really? It's uh, such as, uh, it's only impossible if you're stupid enough to believe you know everything. Or... Um, 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 how come they never consider that their current theory of planet formation might be wrong? Isn't that kind of what they're trying to say? Exactly, exactly. The thing that just annoys me is like how anti-science all these comments are. Like, everybody seems to uh, 
take pleasure in pointing out that... Well, the, the reply to that was they do constantly. That's how science works. Well, so there's indeed. obviously an equal amount of... I don't know about equal amount, but... No. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, okay. Yeah, I think there's a lot of crap on the internet. <gasps> Shock horror! <laughs> People write crap comments on the internet. Know. I don't believe it. Yeah. Anyway, okay. that's well, all that I wanted to rant about. I like that. Yeah, but, um, so but who knows? Explain why... So presumably it's it's of a size that it should collapse upon itself under its own mass? Is that what they're saying? Or is it more the distance? Well, I think it's more the distance, actually. Mm. But who knows? Maybe it was one of these rogue planets that was captioned. Captioned? Captured. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, there will be an explanation. Either that or God put it there to yeah. confuse the astronomers. I'll do it. Hmm. Um, Anti-GM paper forcibly retracted. Mm. Who's been reading that one? Uh, I'll do that one. To reading um, so this was a paper that was published um, a little while ago, that last year in fact, in fact that um, announced that genetically modified corn could lead to increased incidence of tumours in lab animals. And um, the thing was that it had been basically, I think it had been engineered to have something nasty in it. Anyway, oh. uh, it was a bit weird, and the point was that there were, were loads of problems with the paper. There's been a number of letters to the editor written. There's been, like, whole heaps of stuff debunked. I read a really great um, uh, post, actually, that there's been an experiment going on that we didn't realise was going on, in that um, animal food for laboratory animals, certainly for rodents, um, uh, has basically been carrying out this experiment already. So in the US, because the GM stuff is not labelled, it's basically in everything, um, lab animals in the US are likely being fed GM mouse chow from, right. from the corn, whereas in Europe, they're not. And there's been no massive, you know, all the animals, all the lab animals in America are coming down with spontaneous tumours versus the <coughs> ones in Europe that aren't. So, sure. so you've got the stats uh, on how much they get sick and it's about the same. Uh, yeah, well, there's been nothing that's that's sort of popped up, and this is the exactly the kind of thing that research. You know, there are people who are, who are breeding colonies of animals that would have been spotted. Anyway, there's been so many so many things wrong with this paper that it's actually they've decided the journal have decided that instead of um, just putting the letters to the editor, you know, rebutting it, they're yeah. actually going to forcibly retract it, it. Nice. and that's that's good. That's good it news. Good news for a win for a good science over a bad science. Um, there's been so it says here there's been plenty of failures to reproduce, um, all that kind of stuff. So cool. that's good. Yes. So just because people like trying to confuse me, Craig's got a quote in the middle <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Something about creationists. Creationists, yes. So, um, so there was I found this on one of the groups that I'm in on Facebook, and. Um, so on a page called the Question Evolution Project, right. here is this question. What evidence would you need in order for your mind to be changed about evolution? The answer to this, which was written from the perspective of the creationist, is mm -hmm. this world would have to be an entirely different place with half giraffes and half elephants, for example, running around everywhere and millions of fossils being found that are half this and half that. And the Bible would have to be proven definitely to be totally wrong about everything it says concerning God and Jesus Christ would never have existed and a rational proven explanation would have to exist as far as we and the universe 
as far as where we in the universe came from other than an infinite intelligent source and human beings would have to be simple robotic blobs of meat that cannot rationally think feel and or imagine anything because sentience cannot evolve from non-sentience and blah 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 was part of the challenge to write (laughs) the entire answer as one sentence I think I was doing yes Oh, it's hang on. It so, is two. There are so many sentences. misconceptions in here. It's just no life law would exist beyond wings and cockroaches. Blah, blah, blah. Because that's all that is um, life necessary. Is survival. Yeah. 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 So this person who mm. claims to um, refute evolution and be an expert on evolution and be able to prove that it can't happen actually knows nothing about evolution. What a surprise! Mm. So is this just random people in comments or in a what? forum, or is this some sort of Ah, uh, this is this is um, a guy called Kirk Hastings. Who, Can I just uh, ask, what do they mean by half giraffes and half elephants? Do they mean a creature creature that is half a giraffe and half an elephant? Yeah, that's what they mean. Really, just, the just would like be, the, the crocodile. Crocodile. The crocodile. No, I haven't heard. You've not heard of the crocodile? Okay, so Susie, 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 Cameron, and Ray Comfort. Not at all in any way from New Zealand. Ray Comfort. Had this debate oh. a few years ago on ABC's Nightline in the US, and they they debated some people called the Rational Response Squad, Squad about evolution. Right. And so, one of the pieces of evidence that Kirk Cameron came up with was a photograph of the crocoduck. So, this would be this is what Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort would expect to see if evolution were true: that there would Something be these halfway. hybrid creatures. Yeah. The halfway between a so they had this picture of a duck with a crocodile head on it. Yeah, basically. They the have crocodile. been looking at Emily Valentine's stuff, which is just amazing. She's got some works on the uh, in the gallery in Ponsonby Road, and she basically takes creatures and kind of melds them together. Oh, so she's cool. got this beautiful cat. using yeah. using yeah. evolution, obviously. There's your evidence. Beautiful cats with sort of peacock feathers, and oh, they're gorgeous. Nice. I want one, but they're like four thousand dollars. So PZ Myers has a tie with crocodiles on it. Ah. Right. If you follow God on Facebook, um, every now and then he creates a new creature and, um, and posts oh, a picture on it. Really? Wow. So um, he has, you know, half meerkat, half, right. I don't know, snake. So creationists should learn about evolution, then they probably wouldn't be creationists. Yeah, pretty much. Isn't that what happened to you, Nathan? More or less, yep. Um, so, New Zealand. Um, Ian Wishart. Ian Wishart. Heard that name before. Um, well, <laughs> he claims. Well, he now he is an investigative journalist. That's right. He's written a couple of books, has he? Well, he's written quite a few books, I think. Okay. But he he writes this magazine called Investigate. Okay. And um, so I think it's a monthly magazine that always comes out. It seems to be pretty sort of right wing, sort of Christian, sort of. Right. He seems to be prone to conspiracy theories. Anyway. Delivered to my mailbox ah. this weekend was a little magazine called Grapevine, and um, was it free s- or do you subscribe? Is, is no. <laughs> 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 Dream on. <laughs> Grapevine's a Christian magazine, is that right? I believe so. I've heard of that. Giving before. families a lift. Okay. It does. It does. From inspecting the rest of the magazine, does seem to have a quite a. Um, a sort of Christian focus on the family kind of. Um, yeah. But bias the family. To it. I.e. mum, dad, and two... Yes, the nuclear family. family. Yes, anyway. So, there is an interview in here with um, Ian Wishart um, entitled Saved by the Sun, Miraculous Vitamin D. 
So it's actually quite an interesting read because they interview um, Ian Wishart, who has recently written a book, which I think is the reason for this interview, that mm. he's promoting this book. Uh, it's, it's called uh, Vitamin D, Is This the Miracle Vitamin? So what, he's, what he is saying in this article is that um, lack of vitamin D is indicated... Well, is causing all sorts of diseases. So I've just highlighted the ones in here. We've got um, Alzheimer's, uh, allergies and asthma, um, susceptibility to superbugs when in hospital, uh, multiple sclerosis, autism, awesome. uh, breast cancer. And then he goes on to talk about how... Um, uh, the pharmaceutical companies don't want people to know about vitamin D because they would miss out on all their selling expensive cancer drugs. Wow. I did not read enough of that article. <laughs> I read the first page and I thought, okay, I, I understand what he's talking about yeah. now, but I did not. Yeah. Okay. So he's, he's, um, he, and he talks about sunscreen being a problem because the Cancer Society is promoting sunscreen as a way to reduce melanoma, but yet the incidence of melanoma, melanoma in New Zealand has not decreased in the 30 years that they've been promoting sunscreen. Right. The, so the book was actually published last year, and what I love is the um, in, in capital letters, so imagine Ian Wishart screaming at you, <laughs> um, on the page describing the book says, if you still have a heartbeat, this book is directly relevant to you. <laughs> the hottest development in medical science. Wow. So, By award-winning so, investigative journalist. So he's not hyping it all then. <laughs> <laughs> I think he is. Yeah. He's written a lot of books. So, so I did sort of that five minutes research on Google the other day. Oh, well done. That. And the conclusion that I came to seemed to be that you need vitamin D, but you get it even if you are wearing sunscreen, and you only need to be out in the sun for about 20 minutes. Yeah. Over yeah, the course of a week. There, well, there, may, there, way, there may well be something to this. Yeah. But... The, I mean, there are lots of red flags when he's when he's claiming yeah, that sort of lack of vitamin D is responsible for all these things. Yeah. So to me, that just uh, rang warning bells, yeah. and the fact that he's trying to push his book. Yes. So anyway, that's right. um, that's my opinion on Mr. Ian Wishart, which hopefully won't get me sued. <laughs> <laughs> Not I think he's a dick. That's okay. That's in your opinion. He's yeah, a dick. In my yeah, opinion. Yeah. Um, so now we move on to Susie. Susie. Oh, Rants. Ranting. Okay. I know she's not prepared. Well, it's kind of just getting a bit repetitive. Yeah. Um, so all I'm going to say is that um, Sean Appleton this month is talking about um, heart failure, as he often does. And um, he does his usual thing about, um, uh, you know, about how bad medicine is. And, and medicine, which he always puts in square quotes, which is kind of square quotes? Square <laughs> quotes. Square quotes. Seriously. Um, and uh, he's, he's, so he's talking about his usual thing, his um, awesome foursome of coenzyme Q10 and various other things mm. that he sells. And that the... That, uh, he presents an, an anecdote. Okay, so let me, the background to this is that he's basically seen a TV news item about a clinical trial being carried out to look at treatment for heart failure patients. Um, and they basically, uh, they get a catheter inserted into their arm, artery 
Um, and this is apparently, they're looking at whether this is going to help. And there has been some improvement in some patients. Uh, and so he says, but let me tell you about an anecdote, although of course he doesn't mention this, um, <laughs> about a man who was dying of heart failure in a regional hospital who was transferred to hospice and then uh, was given, a 78-year-old man, and then um, was given um, this awesome foursome uh, as a drink and he's now, no, he's not now, he's dead, but he didn't die then. He got a bit better, he went travelling with his family and then he died. Um, of heart failure, funny enough. Right. Anyway, um, and so what... So John Appleton calls this an important lesson for medicine um, and that basically this um, awesome foursome should be used every time. And it's not rocket science, it's just basic biochemistry. But, but how can he know. draw it's the conclusion? Well, so it's this is the thing. science. It's this is what rockets. he's saying, that um, it's because it's all about money. He says it's time medicine stopped being practiced as a belief system or like a religion and focused on pure science and biochemistry. Hmm. We call that evidence-based medicine, and that's why trials are done. And what would be really nice then is to see maybe that um, John Appleton might donate some of his awesome foursome so that we could do a trial about whether these things helped instead of just presenting one anecdote. Yes. So he's, you know, he's just doing this classic thing of not really understanding what evidence is, um, uh, but of course, it's all down to the fact that people, the, the the health system, the doctors all want status quo, which is just not true. I mean, they're trying to save money. And so but hmm. doing trials costs money. But that's hmm. the way you find out think, whether things work. And with that, I am done. Thank you. Now, I introduced you earlier, Susie, as award-winning. Do you want to tell us about the award you won? I could tell you about the tell awards. Tell us about awards. I'm this, sorry. This, Multiple this awards. Year. <laughs> there is more than one award in the room. Have you not seen awards. the Eye of Sauron? Let me show you the Eye of Sauron. Okay, so she's For the, the benefit of our listeners okay. who don't actually have we'll, a video of this, we'll Susie is holding up this big oh, it's a Mobius um, strip. Ah, Mobius. No. It looks like a Mobius, it's not a Mobius strip, strip thing, but, but it's not. Living with a mathematician is not. It's the other one. It's actually not a Mobius strip. Um, so the Eye of Sauron is a very heavy. It looks like an award from Oprah. <laughs> There's no reason for that to be that heavy um, whatsoever. It is the 2013 Prime Minister's Science Media Communication Prize. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> and I got to meet Junkie. <laughs> Yay. Um, more importantly, he gave me some money to make some more animations ah, and things. So, so I'm very happy for that. Yeah, so that was a few weeks ago. And you then could, you could make some animations about um, ghosts. Wow. Well, I'm, actually, I'm actually serious about talking to Hayley. And it comes to the handle. Um, That's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was the first award, which came with lots of moolah to do some nice science communication. And then the other one is the Royal Society of New Zealand's Callaghan Medal, named after Paul Callaghan for science communication. And He was the guy um, who took out that vitamin C, wasn't he? But he but he documented it and then said at the yeah. end that it didn't do any good and then yeah. he died of cancer. And it was very sad. Yeah. And right. so, um, yeah, so it's very award. cool. So I got an award. On the Royal Society, oh, um, no. and this is awesome. And you guys are kind of part of that, so I guess so because yeah. I put this down as one of my forms of science we'll, communication. Well, we'll give you a bank account. Want <laughs> 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 yeah, a shiny gold coin too? <laughs> I'm not sure it's gold. It's so. not shiny either, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so thank um, you guys. Um, oh, no. Yeah, Hooray. cool. So, um, just to be really confusing, we'll do the interview now so that no one knows what we were talking about just a few seconds ago with the book and the oh, ghosts right. and stuff. Right. So uh, we now have an interview with ghost hunter extraordinaire Haley Stevens. Ghost hunter, do you call yourself a ghost hunter? 
Um, one that I use just because I think it's it, pe when people hear ghost hunter, they kind of get an idea of what I might do. Um, when you use terms like paranormal researcher or paranormal investigator or anything like that, you know, it it can sometimes confuse people. They're not quite sure what's going on or or what you actually do. So I use the term ghost hunter because um, I think it's more recognisable. People instantly know that I kind of research ghosts. Though I mean, it sounds a little bit um, mystical. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit what people would say is woo, I suppose. Um, and, and I used to call myself a paranormal researcher and, and refer to myself in other ways. But I found that no matter what I said to people, that, that uh, they would question it. And especially with the media, I, I, I would say to them that I'm a paranormal researcher or investigator or something like that. And they would always write that I was a ghost hunter. So I just kind of went with that after a while. I, I just had, I had enough of clarifying. No, no, I'm not a ghost hunter. Well, maybe, maybe I should just go with ghost hunter. And then when people make those assumptions that I'm out there actually hunting or chasing ghosts, I can clarify there and then. Um, so in a way, I am a ghost hunter, but not in the sense that I'm out in haunted buildings hunting for ghosts. I'm not literally a ghost hunter. So you haven't found any. Um, I suppose, <laughs> no, um, short answer, um, and, and I don't believe in ghosts either, people often ask, you know, uh, investigating ghosts and things associated with ghosts, you must therefore believe, um, or you, do you don't, um, I believe maybe, I, may, I might believe in ghosts as a social uh, phenomena or a cultural phenomena, more than as a paranormal phenomena, but um, but yeah, I haven't found any ghosts, as in spirits of dead people floating around, moving objects, and walking through walls. No. So well, what not that I've seen anyway. What does a ghost hunter actually do then? Variety, what does this variety, ghost hunter do, rather than the one who's going to say? <laughs> yeah, I was going to go. My God, that's a big question. <laughs> no, um, personally. Um, I'm quite sceptical, but when it comes to people claiming that they've experienced paranormal things, I try and look for the rational things that might have caused what they experienced. And nine times out of ten, when somebody comes to you, um, or if they've got strange photographs, something weird in their photo, or they've got some that they captured on video, nine times out of ten, they just want to see if you can work what it is. Um, uh, you always get those people who want you to accept that they've caught ghosts, but most of the time people are just very curious about, you know, this odd thing that they've caught or witnessed, and and that's kind of my approach too. Um, when these things are reported, I, I'm just really curious and want to see if I can work out what's actually going on here. Um, I, I think it's really important that when people have strange experiences that, that if we can, you know, and I say we as in you know, everybody, uh, if we can try and work out what is going on, I think that's really helpful and it can be quite interesting. So how many people I also, I mean, sorry, I was going to say, how many people do you get coming to you with their strange things? I mean, it varies really. Um, I don't get. It's not like a constant stream of people. Um, and you know, I don't do this as a job. This is a complete. This is aside from my professional uh, career. Um, 
but you know, I get a steady, a steady stream of emails. Maybe two or three people every month uh, will send me photographs um, or will ask for my opinion. Um, and like, I've got a Facebook page for my blog, and I get messages through there where people have captured something and they want my opinion. And um, you know, a lot of it I can't blog about because there's this, you know, it's, you have to keep some stuff confidential for people, you know, um, who, who approach you. Um, but yeah, that there is a steady stream, but it's not. It's nothing like you see on television, on these television shows where people have dozens and dozens of people coming up to me every week, you know, wanting their questions answered. It's just not like that. Um, I spend more of my time probably examining things that are in the news and on media websites and so on. Um, news stories about weird things that have been seen, mostly things that are hoaxes or PR stunts, and I kind of examine those um, and add commentary to those on my website. Um, but yeah, I, I get some cases, but but more often or not, I'm just adding commentary to stuff that's out there, really. Do you think you get fewer people approaching you than the main, of inverted commas, mainstream ghost hunters because you're not validating? the beliefs because you're being more scientific about it? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have anything to compare what I get to. Um, you know, I've never, although I used to be um, a believer who went ghost hunting um, way, you know, years and years ago, I, we didn't really get people coming to our website for advice and so on then. Um, so I can't really compare what I get now to what what maybe other people get. I think there probably is an element of that. Um, people, I, I do get some messages through from people who seem to want me to validate that, that it is a ghost, you know, the wording of their messages and so on. And I, I just have to say to them, I'm afraid that's just not what I do. I, I really can't help you. And very recently I had somebody get in touch who uh, wanted to know if I could help them do some kind of an exorcism. And I was like, I just, I don't do that, I'm afraid. It's just not something personally that I believe in, so I really wouldn't be able to help you. Um, which was a little bit awkward, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I would imagine that some people do see that um, I'm, I'm a skeptic and I'm a non-believer, um, and they probably don't get in touch via the contact me page. They probably go somewhere else, uh, maybe to a paranormal team who can tell them what they want to hear. You know, mm. and, and that's completely their choice, I think. So you used to be a believer. What what made you change? Um. Well, it was it was a kind of a slow process. It was um, I used I used to watch television programs, paranormal television programs, where people, you know, like Most Haunted and Ghost Adventures and things like that. And um, this is when I was a teenager. I should probably put out. I was a little bit more naive than I am now. And and I used to kind of believe in the things that they were saying, or at least I I, I was kind of drawn in by what they were saying. I found it um, something that was quite um, you know, something that I wanted to believe in, and I found the ideas quite compelling and attractive. Um, and then these, uh, one of the television shows in the UK was hit by a scandal that they'd been cheating. It was in all newspapers and and all over the uh, the internet and so on. And so we decided to go out ghost hunting for ourselves, and we did this for a number of years because we just wanted. It was myself and some other people in the town that I live in, and we did it because we just wanted to find out if ghosts were real, if this, this was all real. And as time went on, 
uh, we would be doing these investigations in these supposedly haunted places and I would see you know the team and I would take part in things like table tipping in seances we would have mediums and psychics and so on and we would use these pieces of equipment and things would happen that were compelling but at the same time things would happen that made me go something doesn't seem quite right here and as as time went on, um, I would dig around online or I would read books and I would find information about things like the idiomotor response and confirmation bias and you know the pareidolia effect. And then, and then I would go back on investigations and I would see these things in action. I go, oh, well, that's moving because of the idiomotor response. And and as time went on and on, it just, it just became apparent that I was just completely going about things the wrong way. So I just stopped kind of... Um, using those techniques and then that just kind of came it just kind of brought my kind of ghost hunting to an end really because there was no point in me going on these investigations if I wasn't going to be using these techniques because everybody else wanted to be using these techniques so uh, so that's kind of when I became it was probably 2007 I think that I, I, I stopped being a ghost hunter and started approaching it from a different angle. What about the people that you went with? Did they did they come on this journey with you, or did they end up still believing? Um, a couple of people can kind of see where I'm coming from. Um, I mean, the main team carried on as you know as the team, and they carried on using table tipping and dowsing rods and you name it. <laughs> they did it. Um, uh, two, I think one or two members. They also eventually stopped going with the team and they were a, lot, a little bit more skeptical not maybe as skeptical as I I was or, or became um, but they could they, you know they would think twice about things before jumping to the paranormal conclusion and so the the time of your conversion if that's the right thing to call it um, yeah. <laughs> that sort of it kind of coincides quite with when Darren Brown was becoming more and more popular in the UK and he, and mm -hmm. he must have done seance around about then as well yeah, I think it all did. I did. Uh, yeah, it was all around that time. Dar Darren Brown was becoming extremely popular. Um, James Randi had been. I can't remember the life of me. It really bugs me because there was a television show about psychics in the UK. It was a live show. It was a big, big thing. And James Randi. That was the first time I ever saw James Randi doing his cold reading and everything. And up to that point. Um, I, I believed in psychics. I believed in psychic healing and everything. Um, I was really quite gullible. And, and then I saw James Randi doing this cold reading, and that was one of the things that made me think, well, maybe not these people on the investigations aren't doing what they're doing. Um, mm. And yeah, so my, my introduction to skepticism as a community, or as a, a bunch of communities, however you, you want to define it, it was quite a big introduction. It was it was very eye-opening. Um, and of course, you know, you become aware of uh, Darren Brown and James Randi, so you then become aware of people like Richard, what Professor Richard Wiseman and his work, um, and so on, and it just snowballs from there, really. So I first became aware of you and what you were doing with uh, the conflict around the healing on the streets. Is that what it's called? Oh gosh, yes, yes, healing on the streets. Can you tell us that story? <laughs> yeah, how long have you got? Um, oh, no, ages. <laughs> You're the one who has to go to bed. <laughs> Morning yeah. for us. <laughs> oh yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Um, well, healing on the streets. Um, to to summarise it quickly, is basically um, it's a kind of a charity based in the UK, and it consists of all these different groups um, across the country who 
do street healing. They do faith healing on the streets. Um, it's basically local churches come together to form a local group so that they kind of form this union of all the churches. And they have volunteers who go out on the streets and do faith healing. It's called Healing on the Streets. And they stop passers-by and ask them if they'd like to be prayed for. And, and they hand out leaflets um, that make some pretty, or they made some pretty, I think they still do actually make, big claims, you know, that, that they believe that uh, prayer can heal everything from AIDS to cancer to broken bones to paralysis. Um, the list goes on. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head everything that was on there. But I remember being, I was handed one of these leaflets as I walked through the city of Bath. Um, and I just thought it was just, you know, psyche healers or uh, Reiki or something. I didn't really pay attention. And then when I got home, I looked at the leaflet a little later, and I saw all, all of these, this list of all these ailments. Um, so I sent a complaint to the Advertising Standards Authority, the ASA, um, who regulate um, advertising. And uh, they agreed with me that um, this list was irresponsibly making claims about health, uh, especially around cancer, because over here, I'm not sure. Um, in other parts of the world, but in the UK, you can't make claims that you can cure cancer. It's against the Cancer Act over here. So the ASA told Healing on the Streets um, of Bath, which was this local chapter of, of this charity organization, that they couldn't make the claims on the leaflet as they were. Um, and you think that maybe they would just change the leaflet and then that would be that, but no. <laughs> they claimed that it was religious persecution. Um, and they they took it to an appeal. Um, I had to become involved in the appeal. But at this t as this was going on, uh, the media picked up on the story, um, and I had blogged about it um, and kind of revealed not revealing as such, but just mentioning that I had been the one to make the complaint because it's always an anonymous thing. Um, but they were blaming a secular charity over here in the UK for doing it. And I was like, well, no, that's not fair because it's not them. Uh, they shouldn't get the flack for this as though they're, you know, picking on these people. I'm, I'm going to blog that it was me. So I did, not realizing that I would then be thrown to the media. And, yeah, it just kind of snowboarded and snowboarded. Um, but the ASA did uphold their original um, decision and, and the group had to change the wording on the leaflet to say that you shouldn't, you should always seek advice from a medical professional um, and not just be prayed for. Um, but that was only that local group. So the, all across the rest of the UK, you've still got all these other groups still handing out the same leaflet that this one group are no longer allowed to hand out. But, you know, it's a small victory, I think. But, yeah. So, did, that, did that encourage other people uh, like you to make complaints? If they did, they did it anonymously. <laughs> they, <laughs> they learned from my mistake. Um, I know that people have sent me photographs of their local, like the leaflet that the local group hands out, and you know it's got the same wording and everything. And I'm like, oh, if you if you don't agree with that, you should complain. Um, and I know a few people have, but I, I really don't know what the outcomes have been. Um, so it's interesting that it was that you could complain from for a leaflet as. Because I, when I think of those kind of complaints, I think of them as being ones in magazines and you know TV and stuff. It's interesting that, yeah. that it works for leaflets as well. It's it's basically any any form of advertising. If something's advertising a product or a service and it breaches the um, the advertising codes or the cap codes as they're called here, um, 
then it can be taken to the ASA or trading standards or, or something like that. So if they're if they're even though they were advertising a free thing, you know, you didn't have to buy anything from them because it was a service that they were advertising and they were making claims about that service that that could be taken to the advertising standards authority because it was a form of advertising. Do you know if they ask for donations? Yeah, I believe. Um, I mean, they they offer the free service and then they encourage you to to join their church um, or to go on uh, further. Yeah, and you can you can go on further courses that will teach you how to heal people, um, and you can learn more and so on. So you know, you get drawn in and they pray for you and you can walk away. But you you know you know what it must be like. You you sit down and you pray for and you get into a discussion with people and you're given a leaflet and it's got their website on it and contact details. And when you go online, there are all these seminars and meetups and so on. And yeah, you kind of get drawn in that way. I think. I wanted to ask you, and I don't know how long this is going to take, but um, feel free to say whatever you like. Okay. Recent conflicts in the sceptical community, the in, I'm not going to say infighting, am I? The, well, the discussions yeah. that people are having. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts in general? In general? Oh, in general? Oh, my gosh. Um... Well, I'm, I'm, then, I'm then going to ask you what your thoughts are specifically because, <laughs> because of your involvement. Okay. Oh gosh! Oh no! Okay. Um, no, no, that's fine. I'm just trying to think what to say. Um, I think, I mean, for a long time, I was kind of guilty of this in that when I thought of skepticism or my involvement in skepticism, I, I kind of identified as belonging to a community, you know, a group of people. Um, but over time, I've come to realise that actually. Uh, there's a saying like herding cats, trying to organise people who are, you know, free thinkers and sceptics and so on. Um, it's like herding cats. It's impossible or near impossible. Um, you have, you know, such a diverse group of people who all have uh, a similar view about certain things or, you know, a certain approach to dealing with claims, and that, in most cases, is the only thing they have in common. Um, so of course, you know, there are going to be conflicts and, you know, some, I think there will always be conflicts, but there have been some that have been quite, you know, abrasive and public and dividing. And, and it is a shame because, you know, people who are involved in skepticism often have good claims, you know, they want to stop people being uh, misled and have, you know, being conned out of their money and so on. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of people say, you know, that we have to get over the infighting, but I don't think we ever will. I don't think there will ever be a point where where we're just one group of people who have this kind of group think. I think that's actually quite a scary idea. Um, so I think it's unrealistic to think that we'll ever get to the point where skeptics don't have disagreements. But but yeah, that's quite a broad approach. Uh, when you start to get into the actual the actual different debates and so on, it kind of you know. It's different, but overall, I think people shouldn't be disheartened when they see this infighting or the debates happening or the divisions appearing between people they respect or consider their friends. It's always going to happen. It's just like being part of society, really, and it is part of society. It's kind of like being a kid and seeing your parents fighting. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> why are they in here and yelling at each other? <laughs> <laughs> or, or when, um, yeah, when you're at school and you've got a large group of friends and suddenly two of them fall out and you don't know who to support anymore, who to be friends with. 
actually you can be friends with them both you can work with them both you just have to accept that we're all going to have differences and and sometimes that's hard to do it really is because you think you're you're right and you know you probably are right <laughs> um or at least i think like to think i am um but yeah it I think is that's difficult. a quite nice way of putting it the the, the analogy <laughs> of school yeah you've completely missed me on that analogy i have no idea what it's like to have a large group of friends at school <laughs> Um, no, me neither. I'm just guessing, really. But <laughs> so, do you want to comment at all about the specific? I mean, this is just what I've seen. Um, some of the argument, arguments. Can I say arguments between yourself and another prominent skeptic? Um, is it regarding paranormal research or? Well, specifically Sharon Hill from Doubtful News. Right, okay. I've, noticed, I've seen a few altercations between the two of you. There may be other people as well. This is just the one, the one that I was thinking about when I wrote the question. Um, mm -hmm. She doesn't seem to like you very much, or you don't seem to like her very much, or... I think... Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to comment, you know, particularly on Sharon, because I think that would be unfair because um, yeah. you, you know she's not here uh, and that would be completely unfair and you know yeah it would just I think it would be inappropriate but um, there there are groups uh, and not this doesn't particularly include Sharon I'm not suggesting that I'm not hinting at that but you know I, there are groups or some skeptics who probably think that I'm a bit of a, a woo when it comes to the ghost hunting and everything because I take quite a sympathetic approach um, I think it's because I used to be a ghost hunter and I used to be a believer and I used to believe in all sorts of quite out there stuff. I can kind of sympathize with why people believe what they believe and having had weird experiences of my own, um, when people claim to have had weird experiences, I can identify with how profound those experiences can be and how real they can seem. So although they're probably not paranormal and in nature and there's a perfectly rational reason that they experienced what they did I can understand how how it feels to have a profound experience that to you there doesn't seem to be a logical cause for um, and quite often um, not all the time but quite quite often sometimes I see people um, who identify as skeptics uh, writing or talking about believers or experiences, eyewitnesses, um, in a way that is uh, less savoury or not as sympathetic as it could be. Um, in fact, I saw a tweet from a, a high-profile skeptic just the other day that said, you can't change these people's minds, so just use them as a source of amusement. And I thought that was pretty harsh because back in 2005, that would have been me, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. they would have been using as a source of amusement. And... I think I understand why it's difficult to identify with people's experiences and positions if you've never been there yourself. Um, but at the same time, I understand how it's impossible to try and imagine what it's like if you've never had an experience yourself. It's it's quite a big kind of it's it's a huge, hugely different position to try and imagine yourself coming from, um, and not everyone's going to be able to do it. Um, but I often I kind of take I sometimes have a problem with the way that I was right about people who've had weird experiences they think are ghosts or monsters or aliens or you know whatever they think it is. Um, 
and yeah, so that that's led to some kind of very public disagreements. Um, because as a as a skeptic paranormal researcher, you still have to have working relationships with um, maybe other researchers who believe or who aren't skeptics. And you know when you have high-profile skeptics um, kind of mocking these people because of what they believe or things they've said or things they're doing, it makes it extremely difficult. Um, there are some people who believe in paranormal things, who research them, who actually make really good research, um, fellow researchers because of their depth of knowledge. Um, so it, it's really quite frustrating when you're, you see people, um, you see skeptics writing about people in quite harsh terms and it kind of damages your working relationship because they know that you're a skeptic. So they think maybe you think like that too. Part of the same um, yeah, sort of like it's really difficult to to kind of summarize really, but but yeah, that kind of touches upon the problem sometimes. Wouldn't it be interesting though to do this scientifically? So to see whether you know you have a group of people who work in the way that you do versus a group of people who maybe work in the other way, and see mm -hmm. how many people's minds you can change, like whether a more sympathetic approach to clients, say. Uh, ends up bringing them into skepticism versus a more kind of treating them like idiots. Kind of be an interesting thing to do. Well, yeah, I mean, and I can only I can only really talk from my own perspective. You know, when I used to believe, um, I, I would have uh, skeptics, people who describe themselves as skeptics, um, saying you know how stupid I was and and mocking the things that are on my website and so on. And you know, I understand why they did it. But I would never, have, I would never have listened to those people. No mm. matter what they told me, I would not have listened to them. Um, and in fact, that there was a website, and there, it probably still exists. But it was big at one time. Um, it was called Bad Ghosts, and there was an admin on that website, and he was, he was very sympathetic. Um, and actually, it was through him that I started to learn about all the, you know, the rational causes mm. behind things that kind of led to my. Um, you know, quote, skeptical conversion, unquote. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I also had people who weren't so sympathetic and nice telling me exactly the same things, but in a sneering manner. So I would never have listened to them. I just wouldn't have. And, you know, maybe maybe people do have their minds changed by people who aren't so nice to them and, and call them names, but I just don't find that at all appealing personally. I think it's, you know, a personal thing. Mm. So your latest blog post talks about the end of ghost hunting. Um, mm. Do you see that um, in five years' time that nobody will be interested in ghosts anymore? Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, I think people will always be involved um, involved in paranormal research. Um, but I think there is this, this confusion about what paranormal research kind of looks like. Because at the moment there is this kind of overrunning of these kind of adventure-seeking paranormal researchers who they wear like the military vests and baseball caps and sunglasses and you know uh, they run around buildings and uh, they have all this fancy equipment and it, they just hey, look hey, like people. Yeah. Have, have you read um, Pandemonium by Christopher Brookmeyer? No, I haven't, no. You must read that because it sounds exactly like that. It's basically this sort of flat jacket thing. It's a whole load of teenagers in the Scottish wilderness facing demons and things. I think that, yeah, that's probably quite a good vision of what, <laughs> what they maybe go they to. Read it. 
maybe these people have read that and that's what they're basing themselves off of. But <laughs> well, actually, I think it's uh, the television shows that make ghost hunting look adventurous when really, actually, um, it's kind of just sitting around drinking cups of tea, um, being rather boring and being very bored in cold rooms. Um, I mean, for a very long time, way before, way, way before I got involved or even became interested in ghosts, there has been study of anomalous phenomena and, and you know, psychic phenomena and things like that. Um, and I think there always will be serious study of these things when people have, because people do have strange experiences and people will always have strange experiences. Uh, you know, whatever may cause those experiences is, you know, yet to be discovered you know it could be pareidolia effect or whatever um but they will always people will always report having strange experiences so there will always be a need to study these things and to try and work out what they are and to try and help people come to terms what they, with what they've experienced and to try and get them to think rationally about what they continue to experience um but i don't think that it's the modern paranormal research teams that are the people that will continue that research because i think they're in it, it as a hobby they're in it for the adventure, and I think in a couple of years' time, those teams will start to disappear. Um, it's a very commercial thing at the moment. You pay, you know, hundreds of pounds to go into a, a supposedly haunted location, spend the night there. Um, you buy all these amazing gadgets, um, you know, uh, and it's it's I don't know. It's industry, just right. Becoming an industry. Yeah, it's, it's becoming an industry, uh, an industry built on nonsense, basically. Mm. Um, <laughs> and and lots of um, decent researchers who, you know, you don't hear very much about because they, they're not in the public limelight and so on. You know, they don't use this equipment and they don't use these techniques and they don't dress up like that and they don't pay hundreds of pounds to go to locations. They spend months and months replicating stuff and trying to be scientific and you know um and i think it's those people that will continue on the, the serious paranormal research and of course in any field of research you're always going to have the bad science so there will always be bad science in in paranormal research but you have, i think you have to take that as, as a case-by-case -case basis really that there's always going to be that and i don't think people or not everybody involved in paranormal research wants to use bad science more often than not they don't realize they're doing it so it's kind of a, a collaborative thing where we have to try and make it a good field of research and i just don't think these modern teams the ones that i wrote about in that blog post i don't think they're the ones that are going to further the field hmm. any other questions guys oh we could do the okay. final question <laughs> there's, there's a question that we ask most of our guests uh okay. and just to clarify craig doesn't like this question anymore. <laughs> so this is just me and susie Okay. Uh, what's the one question no one's ever asked you but you wish they would? Oh gosh. Um, you can hate that question if you like. Oh <laughs> well, what's the thing know. that you like to talk about but nobody ever asks you about? I don't know. When it comes to ghosts, people tend to ask all the very, very good questions. Um, People often, you know, ask me about weird things that I've experienced that I can't explain or what, you know, my best case where I've been able to explain something is and, and things like that. And I don't really know if there's... Um, oh, one thing that I never get to talk about during interviews, actually, is how I came to um, believe in ghosts in the first place. 
um, which was, it, it kind of stems from when I was a little girl, uh, the house that I grew up in. I grew up in the house believing that it was haunted. Um, and throughout my, when I first became involved in skepticism, I started to look back at the things that I used to believe and be really, really scared of to the point that I would have um, sleeping problems. Um, and I would look back and I would be able to start kind of analyzing the things that I had, I had experienced and explaining some of them away, um, you know, which is really, really good to be able to do. And one thing that I did recently, uh, on Halloween just gone, I held a workshop in my local library for children. Um, and I kind of went over hoaxed ghost photos and misidentifications and, you know, some really good old classic um, ghost stories that have been um, debunked, for want of a better word, or explained. Um, and then we did this big question and answer thing, and lots of the children were asking things that, about things that they had witnessed um, in their homes. And, you know, you could kind of tell that some of them were actually quite, quite scared. Um, and I was able to try and give them the best answer I could. Um, so one thing have I think that when it comes to... Have you thought about turning that into a book, a children's book? I don't know. I, I don't think I have the patience to write a book. But one of the, thing, one of the areas um, <laughs> that I... <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. No, but, a, but a children's <laughs> book would actually be very short and... Uh... No, that's true. You know, something that's actually directed at kids, they don't want you. anything. Susie will collaborate <laughs> with you. But, but so I one of the things, I, I have a seven-year-old and who is scared of monsters, and I have two, two kind of responses. The first is that the scariest thing in this house, frankly, is me, and so <laughs> she should be terrified of me and not the monsters, because when I'm working in the middle of the night by a screaming child, I'm not particularly pleasant. Um, <laughs> But the second thing is that, you know, if we, I tell her that if we had found one, if we captured one, if we had, if there was one in her wardrobe and we got photographic evidence, we'd be so famous and yeah. so rich yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. you know, when she calls me saying there's monsters, I'm like, where are they? Where are they? I'll get the camera. I'll get the camera. <laughs> there was this really, um, I once got invited to do a talk at um, Camp Quest here in the UK. We, we have a, a UK version of it. Um, and one of the things they do or did as one of their, their tasks, as one of their class task things, was they had to go hunting for unicorns. Um, and they had to kind of <laughs> draw up a hypothesis and, and what kind of evidence they would have to look for and, uh, and so on. And, you know, you're able to kind of then apply that to, to monsters and ghosts and, and things like that. And I think that's one of the areas when it comes to the paranormal that people often overlook. People focus on the adults who go ghost hunting on Saturday nights, and people focus on, you know, people who hold seances and stuff. But very, it's not very often that people think about the children that live in supposedly haunted houses and who don't sleep because they think there's a ghost. And I don't know. That's just one of the areas that I, I find intriguing because I think there must be a better way to engage with children about these things. Uh, obviously, like in the US, they have Junior Skeptic magazine and so on. We don't really have anything like that here in the UK. And it's just one of those things that kind of always intrigues me. Well, there we go. So you've got your next job set there. And <laughs> oh, I'd buy one or at least download a torrent. I work for a library, so I'll buy a copy. There you go. <laughs> Okay. Uh, we've probably taken right. up more than enough of your time already. Thank you very much for being so patient with us setting everything up and getting it working. No, that's and fine. I'm just sorry it didn't work like the first half a dozen times. I don't know what was going <laughs> on. <laughs>
Uh, they just love Google Plus. <laughs> it works. It's fine. <laughs> just blame uh, it on the ghosts. Yeah, right. <laughs> Three months. So thank you very much for joining us on the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. Thanks, Hayley, for thank having me. You. Thank you. Wow, that was a great oh, interview. Wow, we're good. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and Craig, you've got a final quote for us. I do. Uh, this comes from a man by the name of Winston Churchill, who I think was... Um, he was a prime Who. minister in the UK, I think. He was on Doctor Who. And the quote <laughs> is, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. Fantastic. <laughs> and today's word is... Gablock. <laughs> a gablock is a spur attached to the heel of a fighting cock. <laughs> Does your cock fight? Yes, for cock fighting purposes, presumably. <laughs> There you go. That's what you get when I'm in a hurry, guys. Thank you, everybody, wow. for listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skip. Hang on a minute, Nathan. What, 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 what? You have been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. Thanks, Evie. Thank you, Evie. <laughs> Thank you. And where should they go, Evie, if they want to leave us a message? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Cusp. Dot. Or... Dot. And Oh, I didn't even prepare a word for the day. Oh, oh my God. God. Well, we were so busy. Slack ass is the word time. of the day, then. So, and I'm busy posing instead of <laughs> typing. <laughs> the paparazzi have arrived. Don't stop. It's annoying. <laughs> Say hi, Evie. Hi, Evie. No, Okay. <laughs> All right, according to my information, we're up to F. We did F last time. We did F last time, so we're up to the one after F, which is G. Well done.